0: And so we continue our story of the story, our faith journey. So let me do just a little review for historical sake. You may recall back after King David came to power, they unified all the tribes, and for a lot of reasons, but one of which was to defend themselves. You're a lot stronger together than you are apart. Kind of what brought our colonies together. And then after a while, David reigned and Solomon reigned. Remember those discussions? Then people got a little restless after Solomon, and they split. Maybe some parallels to our civil war, only it split. So now you have two countries, Israel and Judah. And they don't like each other real well, And so they seem to be doing okay. From external threats. And then suddenly the Assyrians come in, 700s, and they take Israel out. Makes Judah really nervous. So things roll along for a little while, and then Judah is attacked by Nebuchadnezzar. And they breach the wall and take it. So there's a prophet in all of this. I want to get into this prophet's life a bit. Ezekiel. Any of you ever read Ezekiel? Kind of an interesting book. Lots of strange things going on, lots of visions. Ezekiel's father was a priest. And he grew up in the Ezekiel grew up in the priesthood and probably was a young, what the equivalent of ordained priest would be. He knew the ins and the outs of the temple function. He knew their politics. He had probably been inspired by Josiah's reform, which was a religious awakening and learning a lot more about laws and behaviors of people. But that had died. And he saw the abuses and the idol worship and all the corruption both within the city and within the temple. Somewhere he still maintained a faith. A little about the theology of the temple before we get into the scripture. Sacrifices to God was to a God of geography. Yahweh was a God who protected the boundaries of their territory. There were other gods, but this God was going to protect them. And this God lived in the temple. And so Yahweh would defend his territory, and if you were part of the territory, therefore you got defended. Perhaps a little like The ark. You remember that in the Old Testament part, where you know the Ark was the presence of God until it got stolen by the Egyptians, and they had to kind of change their points of view. Indiana Jones, notwithstanding, it was not that good. And then when the wall fell in Jerusalem and the temple was destroyed, it created not only a political but a religious disaster for the people. See, as long as you did your sacrifices, God was happy. Never mind about your behavior. Business is business. And religion is religion. Don't let a little religion get in your way. Well, the city is sacked. Ezra's wife dies. Ezra is, Ezekiel's, I'm sorry, Ezekiel is deported to Mesopotamia and Babylon. I want you to listen to what he lost. He lost his country. He lost his spouse. He lost his vocation. He lost his place of worship. He was exiled in a place where there's nothing but idol worship. You ever been there? You ever been that dry? Maybe a marriage that broke up or lost by death. Lost child, career, medical issues, bankruptcy, maybe your home. You can understand then Ezekiel. And Ezekiel is called as a prophet some five years after the exile. And he has this vision that the Lord gives him in this valley of dry bones. It's an old battlefield. They never even buried the soldiers. They just left them there. And years later, it might have been the group that was killed and therefore couldn't defend Jerusalem. I don't know. And so he's walking around in all the midst of this death. This is where Ezekiel chapter 37 comes called the Valley of Dry Bones. Let's listen. The hand of the Lord came upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and sent me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. He led me all around them. There were very many lying in the valley, and they were very dry. And he said to me, Mortal? Mortal? And cover you with skin and put breath in you. And you shall live. And you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I had been commanded. And I prophesied suddenly there was a noise, a rattling, and the bones came together bone to bone. I looked. And there were sinews on them. And flesh came upon them. And skin had covered them. But there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, mortal, and say to the breath. Thus says the Lord God. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain that they may live. I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet a vast multitude. Then he said to me, Immortal, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say our bones are dried up, and our hope is lost. We are cut off from God. I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from the graves, O my people, and I will bring you back to the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And when I open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people, I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you on your, so- on your soil. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, and have spoken, and will act, says the Lord. It's the word of God. So do you hear the words of hope? To a desolate people who believe that their future is gone? They continue the story from exile, and we'll deal with this a little more later, but after 70 years of exile, the vision of the bones begins to take form. Cyrus is a generous dictator, and he knows that you want to keep people happy. And loyal, and he lets them return to the homeland. And so the chosen people are allowed to return. But I want you to think about something. The people who are taking off and taken to exile probably died. And their children were carrying perhaps the message, and more probably the grandchildren. How much of your future do you trust in your grandkids? Not sure yet. We'll see. It was their hope. The hope stayed alive in a few. and a few it didn't. I'm sure it was very easily to get absorbed into the Babylonian culture. It was rich. It had wealth. It had a lot of culture to it. A lot of idols. Well, after all, when in Rome, you do what the Romans do, Right. But there was a core who stayed faithful to their worship. And they went back with a hope. I think their hope was perhaps another Davidic empire. They certainly wanted to rebuild the temple. Elijah talked about that. But I think Elijah's talk about the temple is more about the content of the temple and the structure of the temple. And they were looking for a Messiah to raise up a new empire to its former grandeur. They were going back home. But here's the reality of history it never happened quite that way. There were times, up to Jesus' time, of independence. And hope that maybe they were going to be their own nation and be able to be strong again, and then there were times of occupation. And it was a seesaw. They did build a temple, and they were concerned about it, and the Romans had desecrated it. They had hoped that Jesus was going to clean the temple out and clean the country out. Perhaps he was the new Messiah. Who's going to take charge? And then Jesus tells him, as David wrote the text today, a very short one. What does he say about the temple? It's history. It's gone. Not one stone will be left on top of the other. This is in a town, in a country, where the Romans were occupying it, and they had hopes to rebuild and make this temple the center of the new empire. So what do we make of this? What's the faith journey? What's the lessons that we can learn from all of this? From my experience as a pastor and others who have written about this, I'm going to give you about four lessons I think we can learn from Ezekiel and the issues of being captive and coming back. Number one, when you've been through a crisis, you've got to come to grips with the situation. The work of restoration does not begin until the problem is fully looked at and resolved. You can't hide from it. The Israelites' expectations of God were unrealistic. They had bound God to a geography. Not only that, but to a building. I like to refer to that sometimes as God in the Box. If you've gone through a divorce, blaming the other partner for all of it doesn't work because we all participate in our interpersonal relationships. There are always things we need to look at, there are things we need to face. And Ezekiel, they had to face the idea of a geographical God. And he was in the temple and he saw the idol worship and he spoke against it and he prophesied against it. But there are some things perhaps he might have thought about he could have done differently. So the first step, and I think it took, it was five years before he got the call to be a prophet. I have to wonder if Ezekiel didn't spend five years coming to grips with what happened. It was a devastating event. Number two, with any bad thing that happens, any disaster, somehow, we have to make something good out of it. Now, let me clarify that. That does not mean that's why it happened. I don't want to get into that kind of theology. But the worst of things that can happen, there are lessons to be learned. And we need to look at it. A child dies, a spouse is lost, financial reverses. Not a reason for it, but what do you take away? And can you create something good out of it? It may change how you deal with people who have a similar experience. It may make you more sensitive if it doesn't embitter you. It may make you helpful to others. It may help you create a campaign to stop something. I was listening to a national speaker last week. He tells a story about losing their child out of nine days from an infection that apparently women carry but doesn't bother them but can be harmful to children. And now they routinely test for it, but they didn't then. Wife became a major force in getting the test universally done doesn't justify the loss of that child, but something bad turns something good out of it somewhere, somehow. I think the chosen people had to understand that God was a personal God bigger than geography. And the worship was more than sacrifices. That to quote one of the prophets, what I desire of you is not sacrifice, but a clean heart. We had a member of our church many years ago, now gone to be with the Lord, her name was Mary. Mary moved into a retirement center. And if she was there, she was probably evangelized the whole place. We had them coming to our groups on Wednesday, she was an incredible force. But a woman moved in and was at their dinner table, and she was just a pain in the backside. She did nothing but complain about why her kids had stuck her here, how they sold the house, how she had lost everything she valued, and she didn't like it one bit. Now, we all understand that, to some degree. But Mary got a little tired of hearing about it at dinner every night. So she very politely said to her, said, are you a Christian? She said, yes. Yes. I said, well then you have an understanding that where you are, wherever that is, God has something for you to do. She stopped. I said, So if you keep complaining about what's happening to you here, you're never going to find what God has for you. That stopped the conversation from all women stopped complaining, but she said, You know, maybe so. And Mary shared with her said, None of us want to leave our homes. But there came a time for the sake of our kids, there comes a time for when we need extra help that we just need to make a shift. It's about not being tied so tight to our geography. So we have to come to the idea that even difficult things, we can find something to make good out of it. The third lesson I think we can take away from this experience was a vision for the future. This is the dry bones. It's kind of an allegorical picture. I mean, it's really graphic, isn't it? This place is so dead. Can life ever come to this? A place where battle had been waged years and years before. Can I find a purpose in my life? Is there any purpose at all? Are these bones... Destined to be dead forever? This is an article February 5th. happened to be my birthday. About the rescue mission helps rebuild lives. Did you read that article? It's a very interesting one. Let me read part of it. Less than a year ago, Joe Hernandez was a heart-sick young man living on the streets of Oxnard, a slave to drugs and alcohol. What started as a desperate attempt to drown out grief over the death of his beloved father. He had become a monster he couldn't control. He had lost custody of his children, alienated his family and friends, and given up all sense of pride. I was adrift and nowhere to go, he said. I was broken, homeless, a man who felt ashamed and had no place to turn. On January 29th, Hernandez stood before an audience at the Faith Community Church in Oxnard, transformed, He was clean and sober. He wore a suit and a big smile. His wife, Sarah, and two young children were there to cheer him on. He was one of four men graduating from the rescue mission, 10-month life recovery program. The program is funded solely by donations, and it goes on to talk about it. It talks about another man whose 13-year-old daughter had been diagnosed with a Life-threatening does life-term disease. And he went to alcohol and he went to drugs to drown it. And so the question, the faith question, can these bones live? And notice in the passage from Ezekiel, it talks about the breath of God brings life. Even in our terminal days, the hope. Why did the Northern Kingdom disappear? Lots of theories. I think they disappeared because they didn't see a vision for themselves, they didn't see a hope, they didn't see a way out. It's easy to get assimilated in a culture. One religion is just as good as another, so I'll just take on that one. It's economically feasible. So you have to see a vision, a vision of hope and a vision of faith. The fourth takeaway lesson that I see in this is you can't back into a future by trying to restore the past. You can learn from the past for sure, but you're not going to repeat it. Jesus said it would be difficult Shocking words. The temple's going to come down. I mean, Ezekiel had said about rebuilding the temple, did he not? And Jesus says, it's done. He's telling us, I believe, that the faith is not about real estate, it's not about a place, it's about a purpose. One of the things that I have learned over the years is that after going through any significant emotional event, whatever it is, you are not the same person you were when you went into it, no matter what that is. Houses can be rebuilt. You can marry again. You can start a new career People tell me sometimes it's better, sometimes it's not, but what they all tell me is it is different. It's always different. You can't just try to restore the past and create a future. Some of you can tell this story very well. Some have moved into retirement homes. And I've heard you tell the stories, and that's a hard move. You have to sell things. You have to get rid of them. You have to move it into a smaller quarters. And it's even harder if you move into a skilled nursing facility where they put everything you own in one drawer. It's difficult. It's hard. And you will miss what God has for you there if you keep looking to the past. I'm convinced of that. We've been a church for 51 years. This church is not the same church the day it started. Is it not? I've been here a good part of that, not all of us. Some of you have been here a lot longer than I have. Because the world changes and our experiences change, we're different. And that's not bad. Theologically, I'll put it like this, Jerusalem is not our mission Rebuilding the temple is not our mission. It's our launching pad. It's great to go see it, and I hope you do. And there are a lot of people trying to fight over it, but that's not our mission. Jesus told us very simply I'm sending you into the world and the outermost parts of the world, places like Samaria, which they just really hated, and Rome. And Greece, the place of your captors. A lot of attention has been paid to what I like to refer to as that postage stamp site of real estate. Still a lot of conflict over that. But Ezekiel, at the end of his vision, concludes with a vision of the faithful they shall be my people. And I shall be their God. And I'm going to add, wherever they go and wherever they are, including here. It's a people of God, not a place. This is the promise that which Jesus speaks to us about. Thanks be to God.